Hello, podcast listeners. This is Jared Pickney. Today's episode is with Megan Brown, the co-founder and executive director of Hope Found. Hope Found is an organization that is committed to ending human trafficking uh, here in Northeast Arkansas and beyond. This was a really sobering, but also I think very important episode. I personally learned a lot about what human trafficking is and isn't, how it is taking place in our community, and what we can actually do about it to help stop it. With that said, here is today's episode with Megan Brown. Megan Brown, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I do not know um, near as much about human trafficking Mm -hmm. as I feel like I need to know. I know it's an issue. Mm -hmm. I know it's happening even right here in our community, Um, but I don't know any of the details. Help me to understand exactly, and those listening, what is human trafficking, um, and in what ways are we seeing that occur in our own community? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, many people believe um, what they think about human trafficking based off what they've seen in movies or on TV shows. Um, and unfortunately, that's usually a very inaccurate picture of human trafficking. Um, that's Hollywood's version of human trafficking. Um, so reality is human trafficking is essentially the buying and selling of people. It is where a person is making money. They're profiting off the exploitation of somebody else. And that can be for um, through the commercial sex industry, so forcing them to have sex for money. Or it could be through um, the job industry and forcing them to work in a factory or a restaurant or a nail salon um, and taking advantage of them through that way. And so walk me through how this, how does this happen on a practical level? Because to me, I'm like, how does anybody force anybody else, I I guess, to do something over a long period of time, like without us, you know, without that being so obvious, like, like, how do they basically enslave these people, especially in this community? Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, what are you doing? How are you keeping them enslaved? Like, how do they not just these victims just run to the police or to someone Mm -hmm. like just stop someone's other and say, Hey, this person's been forced me. Like, I need help. Help me. Yeah. Walk me through that. So many people think that victims of human trafficking are chained up somewhere and physically in chains Mm -hmm. and that's not true the chains they are not physically chained as much as they are psychologically and mentally chained chained up so human trafficking is a crime that is hidden in plain sight your child could be going to school with a victim of trafficking you -hmm. could be working with a victim of trafficking you could see one, you could be standing next to one at a grocery store and never really know unless you actually have a relationship with that person or know more about the situation that they are in or where they come from. So give me an example of maybe, obviously, you probably can't use names, but someone who has been the victim of human trafficking that you have personally got to know, um, what did that look like for them? Yeah, so we have served many victims of human trafficking where their experiences have a lot have been really different honestly but you have that child that's growing up you know with in a home with parents addicted to drugs mm. and when they need a fix and they don't have the money they force their child to have sex in order to get money wow. for drugs or or just in exchange for drugs in Y'all general personally seen that mm-hmm. yes so parents are drug addicts the you know, we'll do whatever it takes to get money for more drugs, even if it means going to somebody else and saying, hey, 
I will, you know, prostitute out or whatever my right. my son or my daughter. Jeez, mm-hmm. and you can have sex with them mm-hmm. for this amount of money. Absolutely, yes. Unfortunately, um, we call that familial trafficking, which is very much happening here in Northeast Arkansas. What we also see is what's called pimp control trafficking. And that is when a person is in a relationship with someone they think they know, they think they trust, and they can be in this relationship with them. It can be like a romantic relationship, and they can be in it for a few months, a six months, however long. And then after some time, this boyfriend of theirs is now like, okay, well, I bought you all these things. I've done all these things for you, or you need to help me make some money, and this is how you're going to do it. And so they basically prostitute them out to to friends. Um to whoever in order to make that money. So we call that pimp control trafficking. And and is that taking place, you're, you're seeing uh, maybe that same type of, you said pimp control, you're seeing that take place as well in mm-hmm. Arkansas? Yes. Um, a lot of, whether, I mean, it can be high school students, high school girls. I'll probably say use a lot of like, female terminology, like saying she and uh-huh. stuff. But reality is, is that human trafficking also happens to boys too. Now it happens to females the most, but definitely is happening to boys. But we've served several girls that got trafficked right, you know, through the college campuses, you know, meeting someone online, somebody that comes in and tells them that they can make them famous on social media or make them a really big influencer. And obviously that's not what it really is but they get trapped and tricked into this relationship with them. And before too long, they're kind of stuck because that pimp or trafficker, which is the same thing, they will, they'll um, threaten them. They'll say, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill your sibling. Wow. Um, and that, that coercion piece is enough to maintain that control over them. So that's a lot of the reasons why a victim stays. Because I get asked that question a lot. It's like, why don't they leave? Why don't they speak up? Mm-hmm. Why don't they run and tell the police? Well, there's a lot of mistrust in the police because if the trafficker has been telling them you can't trust them. Um, they they don't leave for, you know, fear, manipulation. And sometimes that trafficker is filling a need in that victim's life, whether that be a relationship, an emotional need, a physical mm-hmm. need, like, food or clothing or shelter or it could be a drug addiction and that could be another reason that could keep them in there is there a um is there a common link or common thread among these victims um are they is there some certain features or characteristics that are kind of true of of all of them yes so we say the common denominator is vulnerabilities mm. so traffickers are looking for those mainly with noticeable vulnerabilities. And we all have some kind of vulnerability or can have some kind of vulnerability. But of course, you know, kids with them being young, naive, um, they're extremely vulnerable to the tricks of a trafficker. Those, you know, especially kids in foster care, um, kids that don't have a lot of family support or anybody really pouring into them and paying attention to who they're talking to or who they're hanging out with. Um, Very vulnerable. Of course, you know, the adult that's addicted to drugs, you know, that's very easy for a trafficker to start taking advantage of them because of that drug addiction. Really, anybody that's in a state of desperation, they need some money because they're about to get kicked out of their apartment. 
They just lost their job for whatever reason, and they are now in a desperate situation where they need to really provide for their family. Mm. They are so extremely vulnerable to someone coming along and saying, hey, I'll take care of you. I'll help you. I'll provide for you. Um, And so they get it into that situation, and then it turns out to be a trafficking situation. Mm. So the more vulnerable the person is, the more likely they are open for Mm-hmm. attack you know which is what it means to be vulnerable right i mean you put yourself in a position where others can attack or can mm-hmm. hurt you the people who are actually doing the trafficking do they realize like that's what they're doing like are these people like you know like if you're dealing drugs like you know like i'm a drug dealer that's mm-hmm. what i'm doing like or some of these perpetrators predators like are they just like whenever they're finally being approached with this they're like oh i didn't even realize that's what this was or are the majority of them pretty skilled, pretty trained? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, they knew exactly what they were doing. Like, they yes. were, and and it's not just a one-time deal with mm-hmm. one person. It's like a, like they're doing this with like more than one person. Yes. So traffickers are extremely smart, extremely smart because they know how to lure someone into trafficking, maintain a control over them, and like manipulate the situation where almost the the victim obviously thinks they can't leave, but it it turns out to be the victim's idea, you know, to stay and to continue doing what they're doing. Um, They're able to fly under the radar. The trafficker can expect, you know, minimal consequences from law enforcement. Um, And they're able to make a lot of money in the process. So they call Mm -hmm. it a low-risk, high-reward crime because the low-risk is – it's minimal consequences. They're able to fly under the radar, but they're able also to make all this money off of exploiting somebody. Jeez. If we're, you know, someone listening to this, maybe, you know, one of the questions I would be asking, I am asking right now, is like, how do I know if someone's maybe being, you know, is a part of human trafficking? Like if they themselves are a victim of human trafficking, like are there telltale signs or the things that you can look for? Yeah, so, you know, human trafficking's been a crime since 2000, so only like 23 years. And really, for the past 23 years, we've always taught red flags, like these are the indicators of trafficking. Um, look for these signs, you know, are they um, are they living in a home, but there's lots of people coming in and out of the home? Um, are they being, there's there are certain tattoos that are associated with trafficking, which there are. What do you mean by that? So... Traffickers will often tattoo or brand their victims with tattoos that can be associated with them as it could be a gang or, a, or them as a pimp. Um, tattoos that have to do with money, so dollar signs and money bags. It could say some very like derogatory words on it. It could say daddy's girl. Um, it could even say like the pimp trafficker's name on it as well. So What is that about? So that's, that's just, just a sign sort of, of like ownership. Power, like you're mine. It's all about power and control. And they don't want them going with any other pimp. You're literally treating them like property. Mm-hmm. Just branding them like it's yep. a, like a cattle or something. They, that's all they view them as, is property, as a money maker. You're making money for me. You're not a person. You're not a human being. You're a commodity. And, and we're how. seeing that happen, like even like the tattooing and stuff. Like is that, is it at that level, like even in places like Northeast Arkansas, or is that more like, no, that's that's other places? Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, here in Northeast Arkansas, mm-hmm. tattoos. Jeez. So, so look out for people coming in and out of the home, uh, maybe tattoos. What else are some things so, to look for? Yeah, so 
And where I was going with that, there's other signs like, you know, are they with somebody that is, seems very controlling? You know, do they have control over their finances? Are they constantly having to answer for someone? Is someone constantly speaking up for them? But the the thing is, and this is where I was going with that, was Mm -hmm. that, you know, for the past 23 years, we've always talked about these different red flags to look out for. However, you really can't just like look at someone and think, oh, they're a victim of trafficking, unless you know them, unless you have some kind of relationship with them or you're like you're in their proximity enough to see kind of what's going on, you know, behind the scenes. So like you're standing next to someone in a grocery store, you're not really going to know if that's a victim or not. Um, And so I always encourage people, for example, you're going for women, we go and get our nails done a lot. Labor trafficking happens a lot in nail salons. So if you're able to talk to your nail tech um, or if you're going to a certain restaurant, um, labor trafficking also happens in restaurants. And so if you're able to talk to your waiter or waitress, just get to know them. Ask them questions. What do you like to do for fun when you're not working? Do you work a lot of hours? Um, You know, where do you like to go in Paragould? And if they can't really tell you a lot about the area, um, If they can't really name their favorite restaurant, that's a red flag that, hey, maybe they don't have a lot of freedom. Yeah. And so that should tell you, maybe I should ask some more questions about what's going on with their job setting. What, what is it about the nail salons? Because I just read a, um, I just read a book recently. It's actually a memoir by, it was a, a lawyer talking about, um, he actually became a sex addict, this guy. Mm-hmm. And he said it started actually in the back of a nail salon. And he just said that that's yeah. actually, there's, he talked about just the human trafficking and the more of the forced sex labor, mm-hmm. you know, but that would happen through these nail salons. You're talking about the work labor. What is it? Both can happen. What, it, why, why nail salons? Okay. Well, first of all, the whole reason like we even have human trafficking is because there's a demand for it. So you have people that are sex addicts and that's who increases the demand. So if we didn't have buyers like wanting to purchase sure. sex, like then we would have, there wouldn't be, you know, a supply. It's all about um, supply and demand. And there's a lot of people out there buying sex. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just God, right. I wish I could remember. It was in that un- Unwanted book. Actually, Chris, I was reading some st- uh, stats in there yesterday, and I, you may even know this, Megan, but it's like, it's, it's unbelievable how many people, the percentage of people that actually buy sex mm-hmm. in our country. Oh, like, yeah. I, I thought, like, yeah, so, that's like a fringe type deal. Like, that's oh, not yeah, happening. No. Like, Americans are the number one purchasers of sex across the globe. Even in other countries. Yeah. And not just like, we're not talking about just pornography, like literally like prostitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So it's easy in nail salons because it the nail salon is the, the front, right? So it's just a normal, you think it's a normal business and they're doing nails and then in the back there's more going on. Yes. Illicit massage businesses is another venue that we see trafficking happening in Northeast Arkansas. What did the, you call? What'd you call it? Illicit massage businesses, IMBs, is what we call them. Which means what, basically? So it looks like a typical massage place, but you are going in there with the intention of getting more than just a foot rub. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are they are throughout all of Arkansas. We have one I know in Jonesboro. I'm sure you probably have one in Paragold. People, we do the word just spreads, kind of underground or whatever, where it's just like. Obviously, if someone's looking for something, they're going to find it, right? And so, like, yeah. people are asking around, whoever the people are that's interested in buying sex, they talk with somebody, and they're like, hey, this place over here is where you can get that at. That and you and go in, is it like, well, you give them, like, a, 
a code word, like a wink? Like what is like, how do they like, (laughs) how do you get to that place where it's like, it's just a blood, like, Right. This is happening, right? Mm-hmm. And so it blows my mind, though, like how it's happening. Mm-hmm. So a majority of them are Asian women that are being forced to not only like perform sex acts, so you have the sex trafficking component, but then probably also labor trafficking. You know, you have that working component. Um, and they're actually, they're called rub maps, which are basically where Johns go online to a certain website and they will review these massage businesses so if they want to know which town has one they can go to if they're on um, a work trip or whatever it may be they can go on this website and they can find which one in town wow um if they can find that that, then why don't why can't the police find that police can find it um it's more of do they have the um manpower to take that down because not only are you going to have, you have the, the victims that are going to have to help, which is where we come in. Um, there's a lot of work that has to be done in a proper way in order to be able to prosecute them. But I think, was it last month in Blavel, they um, shut down an illicit massage business for really? sex trafficking. I did not know about that. Mm-hmm. So that one, like somebody, I guess, is like, hey, this is happening. Told the police and the police acted on it. And, and shut it down. I was off of work, like actually took a, a month sabbatical. Good for <laughs> um, you. Yeah. So when that happened, I was off work. And so I had my coworker reach out to them. So I'm not really sure how it went down, but um, she basically told them, hey, like we're here if there's, you know, some victims that do need help. But the last we heard was the victim was not even in the area anymore. Um, but so- I, we work closely with law enforcement. So we have a lot of great resources specifically for to give to law enforcement to help them like take down these IMBs. And so it's just, we got to find law enforcement that's really interested and mm-hmm. has to like the manpower to focus on that. And that's, what's hard. Yeah. Um, when you encounter these victims, um, how do, I guess whether it's someone calls you and says like, Hey, I'm pretty sure this person's a part of it, or they just step forward themselves. Um, what are, tell me about the state that they're in. I mean, like, help me get into their world. Like, what what is it, what has it been like for them? Um, how has it impacted them? And then what are you doing and, and Hope Found and other maybe organizations doing to try to help these victims? Right. So let's start with maybe kind of what, what is that experience? What, how has that shaped them? Like, what state are they in whenever y'all finally meet them? Right. So... We've met victims in all different types of ways. We've been a part of sting operations where that's, you know, we're there at the operation at the command center and, you know, we're here to help. Many times, well, this one particular sting operation that we were a part of that didn't really, wasn't really set up well. Um, The girls were not happy. They didn't want to talk to me. I mean, lots of attitude, lots of walls up. And that's to be expected, mm. honestly. Um, they don't know who they can trust. They're they're thinking that they're getting arrested. They're also thinking, hey, if I don't, if I get arrested and go to jail, then I'm going to get beat by my pimp. Mm. You know, I'm losing them money. So there's a lot of, you know, you get all that playing in their mind. They've been through an immense amount of trauma. Um, so sometimes, you know, there's times where, like, they don't want our services, you know, right away. Um 
you know, in those moments, we really just try to show them that, that, that we care, like that, mm. hey, we are here, you know, to help. I'm not the police. Um, I'm separate from that. And, you know, we just want to help in whatever way we can, just kind of build that trust. Um, sometimes, you know, they call us, they could call our helpline or they could get referred to us from another referral partner. And sometimes, you know, they're willing to, they recognize that, hey, I do need help. Um, I need help getting out of this situation. I need help with getting on my feet, whatever it may be. And so our main goal is to build that trusting relationship with them. Um, Mm. It's focused on them. It's survivor-centered. We make sure that we give them their voice, they have choice over what they, you know, want to do. And then we just kind of try to guide them, you know, on the right path. How do you you build trust with somebody who, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you, you can't build trust if you don't have vulnerability, but here Mm -hmm. is someone who has a history of, man, like vulnerability has like really like hurt Mm -hmm. me. Like it's not been good for me. And so like, like you said, you meet them and it's like walls up. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's like the last time I was vulnerable with somebody and I trusted them, like I ended up a slave. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? So like how do you build trust with somebody who is going to have a hard time being vulnerable with you? Mm-hmm. So we always say we move at the speed of trust. So if that means that we're meeting with them every week and we're just hanging out and having some coffee or playing some games or they're eating some talkies or hot chips or whatever mm-hmm. it may be, we're doing that. And we'll do that for however long it takes until they feel like, hey, I can trust you that I don't have to do anything in return, you know, for you to give me these bags of chips or whatever it may Mm be. Um, And we just keep showing up. We meet them where they're at. Mm -hmm. And if that's, you know, we understand how trauma affects, affects them, how it affects the brain, how it affects the memory. You know, we may get cussed out. We may be called, you know, stupid. We don't know what we're talking about, but we're still continuing to show up and say, hey, like, you know, we're still here. Like we can, let's go grab a bite to eat. Mm. So really just however long that takes, um, we're willing, we're there for the long haul, mm-hmm. you know, and then hopefully from there, once that, once that start, once that trust is starting to, to be there and they say, they see that we really care and that we're really wanting to help them or we're, you know, it could be, maybe we helped get them into a safe house or maybe we helped pay for something, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. What is the average age of the victims that you've been able to help? Yeah, so um, I would say our average age is probably like between 18 and 24. Mm-hmm. I think now nationally, I think maybe the age is between 16 and 24. Mm-hmm. Well, and then we have gotten a lot of referrals for minors um, lately. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, um, but I would say, yeah, eight, 17 yeah, 18, 17 to 24. Okay. How did you get into this work? It's not something that, I mean, you're the first person I know mm-hmm. that's worked with human trafficking. I think it's very worthy calls, but I'd imagine also it can be emotionally taxing, draining, mm-hmm. uh, maybe discouraging at times. Like, ha- how did you get into this and, and why are you so passionate about it? Yes. So I am from Jonesboro, but I did move to Nashville, Tennessee. Um, in like 2008, I went there actually to work a Christian camp called Infuge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, 
stay where we are in Nashville. We're based out of Nashville. And so I just fell in love with the city and camp ended on a Monday and I moved that following Friday. Like back then, you know, no responsibilities, no kids. I wasn't mm-hmm. married. So I'm like, yeah, I can do this. So we got a U-Haul and, and moved. Um, didn't really have a job and didn't have a job, but I had interviewed with somebody. So I was just trusting God mm-hmm. and um, it all worked out. But while I was living in Nashville, I was at a coffee shop and saw this advertisement for a documentary on human trafficking. And I, too, at the time, didn't know, like, what that really was. I mentioned, I think, on the ad about slaves. um, And that kind of, like, enticed me. So I was like, let's go watch this movie. And so me and my roommate slash best friend went to the movie. And really, I just felt like God just put it on my heart to to do something about this issue. Mm -hmm. I'm a social worker. I've always had a heart just to help people. Mm. I didn't care what it was. Back when I was in college, I was a terrible college student. Like (laughs) my GPA is awful. And I remember thinking, I just want to be like a full-time missionary or a full-time volunteer. Didn't really care, you know, about money. And, um, but yeah, after watching this documentary, I was like, this is what I want to do. And so I got involved with some organizations in Tennessee and worked for some of those and interned with some of those. And then when I finally came back to um, Jonesboro, there wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, that was like in 2011. But um, it led me to one organization in our state that was in Little Rock. And so I kind of started working with them um, and helping them kind of raise awareness in the Northeast Arkansas area. And so that's kind of how the documentary is really just kind of what, you know, spearheaded the mm-hmm. The um, willing God <laughs> to sure. for me to start doing something about yeah. it. That's excellent. And when did you actually? I know you said you're a co-founder and executive director at Hope Found. Now, when was Hope Found actually found? Like when did you? Yeah. So after I moved back to Jonesboro and kind of got involved with um, the organization out of Little Rock, I did that for a few years. But then I was like, I got married, I had some kids, and so I needed to take a break. But it was still like always on my heart to, I wanted to one day open up a safe house for survivors of human trafficking. Mm. And um, a lot of my people in my community knew about that through just what I would share on social media and through my involvement with the organization in Little Rock. And um, so through that, there was about three other women that came to me in 2018 and was like, hey, like, um, well, actually, no, one came... Before that, Audra King, um, mm-hmm. she's the owner of Southern Confections mm-hmm. and Four Kings Coffee. She's been on the podcast. Great, yeah. So she's one of our co-founders. And so she and I, we actually met in college, but she and I, probably, I mean, soon after I moved back from Jonesboro, um, she reached out to me and she was like, I've seen you post a lot of stuff on Facebook. I'm really interested in this human trafficking stuff. Like, let's get together and talk. And so she and I, we, we would always go to this coffee shop in Jonesboro called The Edge, and we would meet there mm-hmm. and talk about you know, dream about like, what, what could we do one day? Um, and then in 2018, I had Mary Sellers and Miranda Ballard, their mom and daughter, they came and said, Hey, like, we're also really interested in this issue. Like, what can we do in our community? Mm. And so we all came together and I know my timeline is not probably not correct, but how it looked in my mind was that Soon after we met, there was a girl that had gone missing in Truman that had met somebody online, left willingly with him, and he had taken her out of state with plans to actually traffic her um, during the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was going on around that time. 
that happened. And then there was another young girl from Mississippi County that also um, left with somebody they met online. They had plans to traffic her. And then a few months later, the restaurant owner of a restaurant called Corinne in Jonesboro was arrested and charged with human trafficking and rape. Wow. So all three of those happened in my head, on my timeline, like so closely together. And so that was just our sign that, hey, okay. This is a real issue. This is a real issue. There needs to be some education in the community. And what are we going to do about it? Yeah. And so it just came together. I love that, that, you know, there are a lot of people who have a lot of ideas and they want to try to help the world or change the world or make a community a better place. And then there are those who don't just have an idea but act on it. And so I'm so thankful that you and – Audra and the others were willing to take that risk and step out and be pioneers in this area yes. because we do need education. I mean, I need mm-hmm. education on it. This is helpful for me. I'm curious for those who are maybe listening to this and maybe they are uh, a victim mm-hmm. of human trafficking or maybe one one day they're going to come across somebody that is. Like, right. What advice, what encouragement would you give to that person? Oh, yes. That's such a good question. Um You know, I want the person to know that could be involved in human trafficking, that there is a program in your area that wants to to help when they're ready, when they're ready to leave, you know, that that relationship that they may be in when they're ready to speak up. Um, You know, I want them to know that, hey, we're here. We'll walk with you every step of the way. If safety is an issue, we'll get you out of Arkansas. Like, we're so well connected with other programs across the country that we can, we'll fly them, we'll take a bus, whatever it is, we'll drive them to wherever they're going to feel safe and Mm. secure. Um, But yeah, we just want to be able to help them. The word hope and hope found stands for healing opportunities, purpose, and empowerment. And so, that's what we really want them to be able to find. And then, of course, you know, if you believe somebody is being trafficked, you know, I encourage you to call the police, of course. Um, if you're able to, you can also call us. We can talk about maybe some things you can do or some things, you questions you can ask or say. But I always tell people, just start asking some questions about their situation. They're not, like, if you ask them, are you being trafficked? They're not going to tell you that. Mm-hmm. You know, so Mm -hmm. just treat them like a human being. If you see them on the streets, talk to them, meet a need. Um, Maybe ask them. You can ask them some questions about their living situation or their job situation. And maybe some red flags, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe some indicators may pop out to you that, you know, you think they could be under the control of somebody else. With adults, it's really hard because um, an adult – you can't force them to leave the situation. So it's really on them to make that choice. Mm-hmm. Of course, with kids, if it's a minor, you absolutely need to report it um, to law enforcement or the child abuse hotline. I, I want to go back for a moment to talking about um, human trafficking and how it's using the Internet. Because mm-hmm. uh, it seems like that when you were talking earlier, that that seems to be a pretty big platform for how a lot of these – uh, women and I guess some men or are becoming victims of human mm-hmm. trafficking. Can you speak into that a little a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So I think currently, if you were to ask like the average person, like, well, how's human trafficking happening? Many of them are going to say 
It's kidnapping. They think that a person or a child is getting kidnapped on the way home from a window on, through a windowless white van that we were all warned about growing up. Yeah. Or they're like, oh, you know, that vehicle was tagged with a zip tie and they're being targeted for trafficking. That's not true. Like, that's not how traffickers work. Traffickers don't want you to know that you're being targeted for this crime. Um, and kidnapping is too risky for a yeah. trafficker to do because traffickers want to build a relationship with you. They want to earn your trust, and they do all that through grooming. It is easier to target an individual, especially a child, when they are online. So mm. any app, social media platform, video game that has a way to chat with someone, that's where these predators, these traffickers are going to be at. They're going to pretend like they're a 15-year-old boy, a 17-year-old girl, whoever, in order to build a relationship with that individual they're trying to target, which many times, you know, are our children. Mm-hmm. So traffickers... It's easier for them to, like, literally, they can send out 100 messages to girls and boys. You know, hey, how are you? Oh, hey, you're so pretty. And they're just waiting for Mm. those to respond. Mm. Um, And that's way easier to do than try to get out there and kidnap someone. And they just play the long game, just like you are trying to do on the healing side of it. They're trying to do it on the the trafficking side of it to where Mm -hmm. they're like, okay, okay, I got, I got some time here. Like, I'm just going to try to, like you said, groom you, Mm -hmm. tell you what you need to hear, build trust with you and then manipulate you in order to make money. So grooming happens through, they target that individual with noticeable vulnerabilities. So for our children, like they're automatically vulnerable. Yeah. They're kids. Yeah. But they could be looking for that, single parent or that person, you know, that parent or that dad that has a drug addiction or, you know, what someone that is in that state of desperation, but they start gaining their trust and building that relationship with them, which for a child that puts everything out there Mm -hmm. on their social media platforms, it's very easy for a predator to find that common denominator, that common, um, interest, shared interest to start, you know, to start a conversation with them. So, I mean, like I saw this office poster, yep. you know, on the on the wall. And so if you have that you love the office in your profile, I love the office too. Like sure. that's going to be an easy way to start talking to you. Um, so they gain their trust in their information, you know, learn as much as they can about them. It does, there's no real time limit. You know, like we're talking about the long game. It's just however long it takes for those that child's boundaries that person's boundaries to expand and their trust in that person to increase Mm. um and then they're going to start filling a need in that victim's life so whatever that child that person is lacking the trafficker the predator they're going to try to fill that need so whether it's attention or love or affection or money or drugs or food they're going to fill that need Mm. they want to be the one that that person turns to for that need. You're literally, they're trying to meet the basic needs of mm-hmm. a human. Like you've got to have love. Right. You've got to have food. You got to have water. You got to like, you know, as you get older, you got to oh, have yeah. money to, yeah. So like, at this training, we did a training on Friday for our board and we were talking about how traffickers. So in social worker psychology, we all learn about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yes. That's what and, I was thinking about. Yeah. And traffickers do the same. They wow. use that against them. Um, and they're filling all those needs. And golly, man, just like studying people. Oh, uh, yeah. That's what I said. They're very smart. 
very smart. And so they feel that need and then they start to isolate them because they want them to, you know, break, you know, be away from the people, from their support systems. So they may try to cause fights between the person and their family or their loved ones or their friends. Mm. And then the exploitation will start to happen. Um, and that can look like trafficking. That can look like sextortion, which is something that is also very um, running rampant in our state and is really happening to a lot of boys, which is where they convince somebody to send a nude photo or do something on like a webcam. And then they claim that, hey, if you don't send me $500 or whatever, I'm going to share that uh. with, you know, your whole following, your whole following. And um, we've we've read stories of kids committing suicide from that. Jeez, and, and that's that, happening more and more. It like is. That's another stat that I read mm-hmm. yesterday. I think it's like, man, what is it? It's like I think that um, by the time a child is eighteen, don't quote me on this, but it's like I want to say it's it's over fifty percent. I want to say it's over fifty percent of like all teenagers by the time they graduate will have sent a nude photo. Oh yeah, somewhere, and so it's like, and that's, mm-hmm. yeah, that, it, it's just a totally different world than even I it grew is. up in. But it's, I think, what parents. One thing I would just encourage parents with that are listening to this mm-hmm. is like, there's so much pressure right now to give your kid an iPhone or to give your kid a device. Like by the right. time they're like fifth grade, fourth grade, or whatever else, and 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 then like parents were. I think it's also so easy at times just to put like we're tired, we've been working all day. Mm-hmm. You got a headache, you got bills, whatever else it is. Aaron's running it's so easy at times to just put your kid in front of a device, yeah, because they're quiet and Absolutely, they're not they're not yeah. pushing, you're not bothering. Like I mean, I can we my my wife and I we can do that with our kids at times. Like, mm-hmm. and I just think, man, like you're 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 kind of putting a especially if there's no like accountability software oh on there, goodness. modern. You're really putting a stick of dynamite in your child's hand, 100%. especially. I mean, I know, you know, like, and, and some parents I know of that. And no condemnation for me. I don't think I mean, every parent wants to love their kid. They want to protect mm-hmm. their kid. But we need to realize, like, when you give your kid a device and you're not monitoring that, or, like, you're even, some people are even sending their kids to bed. Oh, my gosh. With that <laughs> phone or that device. Like, right. I, that It's like, I don't think, it's just, it's a lack of education of, like, we it don't is. see, we don't understand how dangerous it is. Right. Like, to me, it's like, it's almost like this is a, not even a good comparison because I think it's even way more dangerous. But it's like now we look back at cigarettes. Like there was a day where it's like anybody mm-hmm. could smoke those. We're like, no big deal. And now we look back and they're like, that was killing people. Yeah. And like I feel like these devices in a lot yeah. of ways are something similar to that. It's like, man, they're really, really wonderful in a lot of ways. And I've got one and mm-hmm. got a computer, laptop, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, man, when you give it to a child whose brain's not even fully developed yet and they're incredibly vulnerable, mm-hmm. it, it it's just it's playing yeah, with fire. It is. I'm right there with you. We would never let a stranger come into our home and go hang out with our kids, but you're letting them through the cell phone. Yeah. Like you're letting strangers, predators, you know, people have these start. They're starting conversations. I mean, predators, predators, and these traffickers are looking for accessibility, mm-hmm. um, and vulnerability, and they're able to find it. Well, we know algorithms are a thing, like mm-hmm. as adults, and it works on us. Like, yeah. oh my gosh. You know, like, mm-hmm. like we buy stuff we don't need, like our, our own political beliefs are just like further confirmed mm-hmm. through like the news feed that it's just giving us because it knows we're either conservative oh gosh, or liberal yeah. or whatever. Like, it's just like it confirms our own bias. And it's like that's working against us. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it's going to work 
against the child. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like if we fall prey to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know adults that fall prey to this. Like it's like I have a – Oh, yeah. I know of a woman um, who used to be a part of, of our community here, and I remember she reached out to me a couple years ago and was mm-hmm. like, hey, I've got a boyfriend, and I can't remember where it was. We'll just say like Switzerland or wherever. i got a boyfriend, and he can't come see me, but he wants to marry me. And he said yeah. that if I can, you know, wire him $1,000, he can get here. She wired him $1,000. Yeah. Then that still wasn't enough. And then she was coming to literally our church and being like, could you give us another $1,000? Oh, no. So I got involved in the situation. I'm like, let me talk to this guy personally. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't, he would text me, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't even do a phone call with me. Right. And I could not convince this woman. She actually, I, I'm not turning about a year. I could not convince her like, like you're being played. Yeah. And I know right. that's not quite human trafficking, but it's like it's a it's a it's a it's version a, yes. of it where it's like it's exploitation. It, yes. Yeah. So even like grown human traffic. Yeah. yeah. Even human like I think the whole umbrella is exploitation and then like human trafficking falls underneath that. Because that yeah, they're taking exploitation is taking advantage of another person for that personal gain. And that's exactly yeah. What? And I think in this woman's okay. case, and I've, I've heard of, I've heard of uh, senior adults that have fallen yes. prey to this, mm-hmm. like, especially against a vulnerable population, yep. like what they're, they're lonely people a lot mm-hmm. of times who are longing for affection and they're longing for companionship. Yes. And like, it goes back to what you're talking about. This like, the promise is I'm here to meet a basic need. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, it is a good need. It's a good need that we right. all have for companionship and friendship mm-hmm. or even, you know, all those things. But it's like, I'm yes. promising you this thing, but I'm going to give you the complete opposite actually. Yep. Yes, it's, yeah, it's incredibly sad. And I think my, my advice to parents to to protect their kids as much as possible is, first of all, you've got to be having these conversations with your kids. Um, you need to be, like, the average age for a child that gets exposed to pornography is, what, 8, 9, or 10? Yeah, I and mean, yeah. it's getting younger yes. every year. So you need to have a conversation with your kid before that happens. hundred percent. You know, you need to be, you know, you need to talk to your kid about online safety. You need to have programs in place that are monitoring it. It's not about that. Like you don't completely trust them. I mean, their kids are going to make mistakes, but that's the big thing is what I tell parents. I'm like, your child needs to know that no matter what they do or what happens, that they can always come to you hundred percent. and let you know. That is huge. And I think like that's, that's something that um, those who listen to this, like ask yourself the question, like, am I the kind of person that my child can come and talk to me about anything mm-hmm. in a condemnation free zone? Right. And I think like that's something that, I'm, I'm really trying to grow in as a parent because I think our kids a lot of times, and I don't think any, again, any parent tries to, to do this, right. but our kids can come to us with something that's not really even that big of a deal and we make them feel silly for it, mm-hmm. you know, or, or really, really bad for even thinking about this thing or whatever else. Yes. And they learn at an early age, oh, if I'm ever struggling with something or there's something weird or awkward going on, I can't talk to mom and dad about it because yeah. I'm going to feel even more like weird mm-hmm. and awkward or bad or whatever. And so I think it's very important, like you said, to have these conversations Yes. With our children. And and I think, too, like our generation, because it was different for you. I mean, you said you're born in 85. I'm 83. Mm-hmm. You know, pornography, I mean, I was exposed to it when I was 13. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty young when I was exposed to it. But, like, now it's even younger. And it's like, if you're thinking I'm going to have the sex talk with my kid whenever they're a teenager, you're five years too late. You're yeah, way too late. Yeah. And they've already heard about it. Mm-hmm. From their, so it's like, okay. Do I want them to hear about it from their friends? Right. Who exactly. probably also are figuring it out on their own. <laughs> it's the wrong information, I'm wrong sure. Wrong information. Yeah. Or do I want to be proactive and have the conversation with exactly. them? And I think for me, what 
what I think is very important is to make sure our kids know that sex is not gross. It's not bad. Mm -hmm. It's not weird. It's not like we shouldn't even talk about this kind of thing. Like from my opinion, it's a beautiful thing made by God, but Mm -hmm. it can absolutely be perverted and it can be used to enslave us and enslave Mm -hmm. others. And so the more we have these conversations early on, it's so important. You're the better right. it is. And there's great resources out there. Um, and we're working on that for our website is building a resource page because I do get asked a lot from parents, like, what do you suggest for this and this and this? Um, because there's great resources that teach you, hey, these are the these are some good conversation starters to have with yeah. your kids. You know, it's going to be awkward as crap, but like, yeah. you know, just get through it. Cause they need to know that you're there. They need to come to you for that information. I had the sex talk with my son at nine yeah. and I found, and there's great books out there that help you like, yes. You know, one of the, that. one of the, we had conversations, our kids before they were nine around mm-hmm. it. And I think, um, one of the good books, I can't remember what was the actual title of the book, but Dr. Meg Meeker is her name. She's a psychiatrist, and she's a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I thought was helpful is early on, even talking to your children about why do you have to put on clothes mm, yeah, to go outside. Mm-hmm. And it's to let them know, like she said, listen, it's not because what you have is bad. Mm-hmm. And she talked about even the importance of like not nicknaming you know, yes, like right. literally call like, son, you got a penis or whatever, right. you have a vagina, whatever it's yeah. like. And letting them know, like, you don't have to cover this up because you should be so embarrassed of this. Mm-hmm. But it's actually so special. Yeah. And it, it's so special that it's only meant for one person someday, mm-hmm. a special person in this type of relationship. And the only people who could ever be able to see this, if a doctor has to look for whatever mm-hmm. reason, or when you're young, right, like whatever mom's yeah. in your bath or dad, but nobody else should nobody ever see else. that. Mm-hmm. Nobody else should ever touch that. And again, it's not because it's bad, because it's so good. Right. Yeah. And it's going to be a gift for somebody someday. And it's like beginning to have those, those are easy yeah, conversations exactly. you can have early mm-hmm. on that I think normalize yes. this idea of, you know, Whatever. And hopefully it would make it easier to have, you know, more in Further conversation. Okay, now what is that, you know, what yeah. is this body part for? What is this, you know, yes. all that sort of thing. How does yes. it work? Well, so that's all. Well, there's so much more we could talk about with mm-hmm. this. I, I want you to be able to talk about the event. This is coming out. Uh, I'm not sure what the exact date is that this is being released, but I know it's well before this November. Yeah, uh, November event, 11th. Yeah. Okay, November so 11th. we are having the inaugural um, Brewing Hope Coffee Festival. Very cool. So um, I love coffee. If I've made a huge list of coffee shops in Northeast Arkansas. There's so many great coffee shops. And I got the idea from the Cincinnati Coffee Festival. And I was like, I want to I bring this to, like, our area and then also have turn it into a cool fundraiser. And so we're inviting coffee vendors to come and participate. And the guests who attend the event, they're all going to get to sample um, the different coffees from each vendor. Yeah. And get to vote on their favorite. Oh, that's cool. And so they'll get like a cool trophy. We'll have some live music. Corey Jackson will be there. Oh, I um, love Corey. Yeah. He's been on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. And then a photo booth and just some other things. We're going to try to make, you know, make it some, make it fun for our first year. So that's November 11th. It's Veterans Day. So veterans do get in free. Where'd you say it's at again? Uh, the, oh, the Glass Factory in Jonesboro. The Glass Factory in Jonesboro. Glass Factory in Jonesboro. Um, $15 for a ticket. Um, that's pre-sale, uh, day of uh, the day of the event is $20. Mm-hmm. So we encourage you to get your tickets beforehand. You can, um, 
let's see. I'm like, where can you purchase them at? Um, on our, I know on our social media, it's been shared a lot. So I would look there first because I'm not sure if it's on our website at the moment. I need to where, put it on so <laughs> some people do know that. Where can they find you at? So you just said you're on Facebook. Yes, please where? follow us on Facebook, so uh, Instagram. We do have a Twitter account, but I got to work on. Yeah, we don't really that. use our Twitter either. <laughs> I don't know how often people in Northeast Arkansas use Twitter. I know. Um, and uh, our website is hopefoundnea.org. Hopefoundnea.org. And then there is a uh, number that people can call. We will put that in the little show notes description, so that way you can have access to that and yes. the website. Mm-hmm. Um Let's move into some rapid-fire questions. Okay. How does that sound? That sounds good. All right. I'm going to pull them up here. You would think at this point I remember all of them, but I mm-hmm. could forget. Um, what is the last show or movie you watched, or what's the last book that you read? Uh, the last show, like completely start to finish? Sure. Or if you just watched an episode of one. Um, well, I recently went back and watched Lost. Oh. I just finished that. I should totally connect you with my wife. This is getting eerie. Wait, is she a Lost fan? Okay, so think about this. My wife, Megan. Your wife's name is Megan too? Born born in August. Uh uh, Seven days after you. Same year as you. Loved Mfuge. Went to Mfuge. Oh my goodness. And is a big Lost fan. Wow. Okay. Y'all yeah. might be best friends ever if I y'all know. ever met. Yes, that is so And cool. I'm sure she's also against human trafficking. Yes. So y'all <laughs> yeah. also have that in common. We'll double check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Love it. Favorite band? Um, my favorite band is Paramore. Ooh. Look at that. Are you, but you're a Paramore fan, aren't you, Chris? I'm not a fan. Okay. I don't <laughs> dislike them. I'm not a fan, though. Ain't it fun? Yeah. That sounded right. Yeah. That sounded really country. They're not a country band, <laughs> by the way, if anybody's wondering. This, yeah. I would say Paramore. I mean, with Who having, else do you like if you like Paramore? Cause, cause I, a variety. I like, bet we're in the same vein of, uh, like, what were you, like, you probably started listening to Paramore in college, didn't you? Yes. So who else did you like back then? Oh, and co- well, I listen to a lot of singers, songwriters, like all these independent artists. But who I don't even know. Like since having kids, like I don't get to listen to anything I really like. So well, you still could. I don't know. Know. I'm like I used to go to all these like you know uh, shows and concerts, and then like you know now I'm like ah, everything revolves around kids. Are I'm you saying gone. are you saying cuckoo kangaroos not like a, <laughs> no, a right. favorite like artist kids of yours? Bop. Well, look, my kids are getting older. And see, I, I am a Swifty. I love Taylor Swift. Yeah, yeah. So My wife went to a Taylor Swift concert. I did, too. So my girls, my yeah, two younger ones, up. yeah, they they like Taylor Swift now, too. How many kids do you have? Three. We have three kids. What are their ages? Wow. Okay. Uh, 11, 7, and 5. Okay. Close. We have 11, 9, and 6. Oh, really close, though. Very close. Did you Very also close. name one of them after a biblical hero? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are your kids' names? I was Jude. That's uh, my that's a that's book Moses. of the Bible. That, yeah, well, that's, that, that's Moses' middle name. <laughs> so, what? yeah, our Moses. son's middle name. Yeah, we have Moses oh, Jude. No. Oh. Yeah, not the Moses of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I didn't know they said You don't that. have that translation. That's our of the only Bible. biblical child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, who else do you got? Jude, Ruby, Raleigh. Okay. We don't have Ruby or Raleigh. Uh-huh. All right. You got Moses? Well, we have Moses. The first two, uh, uh, my 11 year old's Nora Kate, and then my, okay. son, my middle son's Wyatt. 
And then, like, we were just like, you know what? We didn't do any Bible names the first mm-hmm. time. Like, let's just swing for the fences. We're not going to do Jesus. Let's just do Moses. <laughs> Wyatt is a good Western name. I bet. Oh, Ru- I love it. I, I bet Ruby's a good Western name, I too. I wanted to go. Name. I wanted to go with another, like, cowboy name for <laughs> Moses. And so, like, I wanted to go, like, Weston or uh, Colt or something like that. And Megan, my wife's a school teacher. Okay. And pretty much every name I shut down, she's like, nope, had him in class. It was awful. Nope, <laughs> oh, I did terrible. the same. I'm yeah. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Or then, like, I, anyways. Or I'm like, or did you date that girl named that? Because that was yes. not uh-huh. named that either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Can't do that. So you, when you uh, sing like Paramore, you sound like you're a country singer, and you name your son Western names. That's it. There you go. It's time to buy you some boots. Yeah, believe it or not, I actually used to be in a screamo band. <laughs> back. Did in you the, really? Uh, did you, did you, did you uh, Are, grow up in Jonesboro? Yeah, so, yeah. I used, we used to play at the Powerhouse a lot. Yeah. What was your band? The Williford Project. We play, sure. with, we play with a band called Kings Down quite a bit. Yeah, I Blood remember Kings Down. There's yep. another band from Jonesboro. I went to some of those shows. Really? Well, I play guitar and sing. So, but oh, okay. I'm also very like timid and shy. So I don't do that that often. But I do. I mean, I'll lead worship occasionally. Um, Sweet. But yeah, I mean, I used. To, yeah, I'm familiar with some of those. Okay. Excellent. That's cool. Very cool. What would be your last meal? So you're on death row, and you can eat anything you want. Oh, I was you like, don't I don't to, know what I had this you morning. You don't have to be. No, not was your, <laughs> what was your last meal. What would be your last meal? Like, anything you want. You don't got to be healthy. Like, you ain't thinking about that. It's just like, this is just tastes really, really good. So, like, start with your appetizer. Pro- oh, my appetizer? Um, probably some cheese dip, some queso. Okay, fantastic. And then your main dish? My husband's ribs. Ooh, with what sides? Mac and cheese. Belveda shells and cheese. Okay. And what to drink? Sweet tea. Dessert. Hot fudge cake. That's great. <laughs> Didn't somebody last week say dumplings for the dessert? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Like apple She was like, I don't like dessert. <laughs> oh, that was sunny. I just want <laughs> another entree. <laughs> yeah, I want another entree. Let's go dumplings. That's funny. Oh, um, what is on your nightstand right now? Um, a lamp and a clock and what else? Probably the remote control, the TV changer. Okay. Nothing exciting. That's (laughs) usually pretty boring stuff. Um, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. Um, and being with my kids, you know. Usually family dinner because we we really do sit at the dinner table mm-hmm. and eat and stuff. So that's always fun and chaotic at the same time. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yes, we try to do the exact same thing and fun and chaotic. Is yes. Good. Good words to describe <laughs> it. Uh, last question: What is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? Deeply grateful for. I'm trying not to be like generic. Like I know norms. it's hard not to be. I know. Um. Let's see. I'm deeply grateful for my comfortable bed. Mm. I really like to sleep. <laughs> Another area where you're just like my wife. Really? <laughs> my wife will literally, uh, I mean, she does almost every night. She'll just say, thank you, God, for our comfortable bed. That's so funny. What are you on the Enneagram? You taking that? Oh, um, I'm a nine. So is my wife. Yeah. Mm. Yep. I was say, that sounds like a very nine answer to be like, my, I'm thankful for comfort. 
Nine with a, with a lot of seven energy, probably. I'm, yeah. I'm learning more about the Enneagram, but I, I used to be a two is what I thought, which is the helper. Sure. I can, but then I, when I took it recently again, it was a nine. Okay. So now I'm kind of learning what that is like. Sure. Excellent. Well, this has been. Are you a three? I sure am. Okay. So my husband's a three and nines and three pairs well together is what I've told. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> well, and whenever a nine's healthy, it actually goes to a, a three. Oh. And whatever, uh, uh, well, anyways, we won't get into all of that. <laughs> so um, this has been a lot of fun, and Thank it's you. been very informative. Uh, it's been very helpful, um, sobering as well in some mm-hmm. ways, because I didn't even realize just – uh, the depths of some of like the human trafficking and so right. thank you for coming on and for raising awareness and thank you even more for getting in the trenches and uh, doing yeah. this work and so I hope that um, yeah it, it, whatever your vision is for this as you shared it like I can't say it exactly the way you said it but the the, the healing what is it again? The yeah, healing, healing opportunities, opportunity, purpose, and, and empowerment. empowerment. All four of those things I think are beautiful, and I hope you see you. just more and more and more of that uh, in and through this ministry. So thanks so much for coming on. Uh, yeah. It's been really helpful. Thank for you me. so much for letting us spread the word and share our mission. All right, that was Megan Brown. Uh, I learned a lot about human trafficking. I told you, Chris, we were talking about it like, I'm embarrassed by how little I knew about human trafficking. Like I I knew it was a thing. Um, I've heard people say it's happening here in our community. Just didn't really uh, know to what extent or exactly what it looked like. And so, um, Megan, it was really helpful to have you come on and share. Um, For those of you who are still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, We do what we do uh, for you as the listener and um, if you've not already done so please go check us out on different social media platforms we're on facebook we're on instagram Um, also whatever platform you're listening to this on whether it's apple or spotify or uh, whatever platform it is uh, just take if you can 30 seconds a minute to give us a five star rating that just helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people uh, that are living right here in our community so as always thanks for listening until next time